Good morning, Hill family. How are we doing this morning? If you want to stand, I'm going to read from God's Word as we begin our service. I'm going to read from Psalm 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Yet evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh and my adversaries and foes. It is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war rise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing have I asked of the Lord that I will, uh, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple. For He will hide me in His shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of His tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me, and I will offer in His tent sacrifices with, with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, Seek my face. My heart says to you, Your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. O you who have been my help, cast me not off. Forsake me not, O God of my salvation. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and they breathe out violence. Verse 13, I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. Let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. There's two really kind of phrases here I want us to fix our mind on as we begin service this morning. The first one was back in uh, back in verse 4. It says, all the days of my life, he says, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. Interesting phrase. Turns our eyes to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. And then he ends by saying, I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord. I just want to remind us this morning as we begin worship that we know as Christians, we know the beauty of the Lord and the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we know the goodness of the Lord and the glory and the majesty of Jesus on our behalf in the gospel. Okay, let's sing this morning as we begin our time. song we took a week ago called God is for us. So we're going to remind ourselves of the chorus. We're going to sing it nice and loud in a good chorus. How about this? Sing with joy now. Our God is for us. The Father's love is a strong and mighty fortress. Raise your voice now. No love is greater. Who can stand against us if our God is Raise your voice now, no love is greater, 
this year at Smith Hill. If you're a guest, we are so grateful that you've chosen to worship with us this morning, uh, and we are here to worship our God for the great work that he's done in his children, and that is bringing us to salvation through his son, Jesus. Um, as we just sang, God is for us, and the way that he showed that he was for us is by providing a perfect sacrifice for our sin and rebellion on his son, Jesus. Um, so we are here out of gratefulness and humbleness that the Lord would look on us as such love this morning. Uh, we also would like to take time in our service to do a harvest spotlight. Uh, in the announce to turn to, we pray, Luke 10 to, sorry, we pray over uh, different gospel-centered churches and ministries throughout the San Diego area, throughout the states, and throughout the world. Um, this morning, we're praying for Bright Hope Community Church in Spring Valley, and Pastor Brian Weiner, his wife Jennifer. Um, they are still meeting online, um, so we're going to pray over their community that they would um, be able to stay unified and continue to grow together and continue to reach their community um, during this time. Uh, let's pray together. Father, we come before you this morning, um, as I said, just grateful, um, not only for what you've done in our hearts, God, 
and by the blood of your son Jesus God and bringing dead hearts to life and I'm grateful for this opportunity to be here together in each other's presence Lord use us and manage us um, and Lord we pray too at this point right Lord and we're grateful that you've brought us here and um, I pray that we would not take it for granted what it means to be together Lord, we pray for Bright Hope Community Church and for Brian and his leadership, Lord. I pray that you would give him wisdom and discernment in guiding his congregation, Lord. I pray that you would remind them that their being together physically is ideal, Lord, that, that the bond of the blood of Jesus is far stronger than our physical presence. And so, Lord, as they are apart from each other, may they continue to grow together in love for one another. Lord, I also pray that you would give him and his church wisdom in, in how to move the gospel forward in their community. Um, I pray that, um, Lord, remember that you're sealed and not hindered by uh, Zoom calls, Lord. And I pray that you give them uh, new and fresh ideas on how to witness to their neighbors and share the gospel with them, Lord. And I pray that their church would continue to grow as more and more people come to know the saving grace through the Lord Jesus. pray over the rest of our worship team, Lord. I pray that you would fill this altar with clean hands as we remember your goodness towards us, as we remember your grace towards us, as we remember that we are undeserving, but it's only because of the Father's great love for us that we can stand here now as sons and daughters. We love you, Lord, and we pray all these things in your awesome Jesus. Amen.
Sing to follow your kingdom could never come from me. Oh, Father, use my ransom life in any way you choose, and let my song forever be.
Again, church, you can remain standing for a moment before I pray, before we transition to the preaching of God's word. I want to give you a few announcements, though. My name is Pastor Jimmy. It's good to see you here this morning. Great to hear you sing this morning. There are two con- uh, cards in the seat back in front of you. There's a connect card there, which is a way, if you're a guest, for us to kind of get a tangible uh, touch with you. So if you would be uh, willing to fill that out, put as much uh, information on the front and back as you can. After service, if you go out the double doors to your left, we kind of have a connect area. You can turn that in, be a way for us to follow up, connect with you, let you know who we are as a church and how we can better serve you. Secondly, there's a a prayer card there as well. want to be praying for you, so same as well. You can fill your prayer request out on that card there as much as you would like information out the double doors to your left after service. Someone will be there. You can turn it in. We'll be faithful to pray for you this week. I'm going to lead us in a time of prayer now as we go to the Lord. So please bow your heads. It is with with reverence, with humility, with joy, and with really eternal gratitude, Lord, that we now turn our, our hearts to you in, in prayer. God, you are the one. You are the, the one whom we can only eternally cry, Abba, Father. You are the one who has given us a spirit not of slavery to fall back into fear, but a spirit of adoption by whom we are called sons and daughters of you. And Lord, your spirit testifies with our spirit that that is in fact true, that we are sons and daughters of of you by the work of your son. 
And, Lord, that we are not only just just as heirs with God, but as we're going to see today, heirs with Christ. And, Lord, all that we have, all that we have been given comes to us as a gracious gift through your Son. Lord, we, we confess, we announce, we proclaim that, Lord, you're good to us. And as we sang, uh, Lord, you're good. And your steadfast love endures forever. That we can gaze upon the beauty of who you are. That we can turn our affections to you solely because we have seen you in the person and work of your Son. But Lord, we do confess that we are sinners. Yes, we know by nature, but we demonstrate that we're sinners by nature. Because we daily sin. Even this morning, Lord. We confess that our hearts tend to to seek our own glory far too often than the glory of your name. Lord, forgive us for our selfish, prideful, rebellious hearts. Lord, we, we believe that what we desire and what we want is what's best for us rather than the truth of what your word tells us. Father, forgive us for seeking our own interest and not the interest of our brothers and sisters, and not the interest of the kingdom. And Lord, it, though we confess our sin honestly and humbly before you, we also do so confidently through the, the work of Christ. Lord, he is our great high priest. He is the one who forever lives to make intercession for us. He stands on our behalf. So we pray confidently, we pray expectantly through the work of your Son. And Jesus, we thank you that you are willing to live the perfect life, die the necessary death on our behalf for our sins. We thank you, Jesus, that you were willing to confess with your own lips upon the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So that we might never have to utter those words. We thank you, Lord, that you would bear, you would take upon yourself our condemnation, do us for our sin, that we get to unite as the people of God and stand in Romans 8, chapter 1, that, and, and announce that there is therefore now no condemnation for us who are in Christ Jesus. We have peace with God and peace with one another through your work on our behalf. And Lord, we thank you that because you are our great Savior and our our blessed Lord, we have union, relationship, familiar relationship as we see in the text to the Father. Father, I ask that in light of your cleansing work in the gospel, you would cause us and empower us by your Holy Spirit to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we have been called. With all humility and gentleness with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace, Lord, especially in this season of our life where division and it's a common thing. It's expected almost. Lord, what might we be the people of God? Might we confess by our life? Might we proclaim through our living together that there is one body and one Spirit, just as we were called to one hope that belongs to our call? One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and who is in all. 
Might that be the mark upon our life, Lord. And Lord, we do, as we unify, as we come together as a gospel people, we want to, we want to pray for, we want to lift our voices for our governing authorities. Whether that be here in La Mesa, whether that be countywide, whether that be the, the state of California, where that, may that reach all the way to the White House, we do want to pray for our leaders. We want to pray that they would govern in such a way that we would live a, a quiet and peaceable life. We would be able to be a gospel people, looking to share the gospel and be about making disciples. Lord, we pray that they would bear the sword which you have entrusted to them with, with gentleness, with patience, with equity, with justice, with righteousness. Lord, we, we pray, and I pray for us as a church, Lord. I pray that you would, Lord, give us, even as we see in this passage, Lord, the beautiful reality that you set us free from our sins to make us sons and daughters of you. And Lord, might we, might that reality sink into our soul in such a way that, Lord, we are compelled to share the gospel with a lost and dying world. But Lord, forgive us for being a people who often are critical of the world, but yet silent in the face of the world with the gospel. Lord, give us a desire in our hearts. Give me, give us, to be a people, a gospel people who proclaim the truth of who Jesus is. That we might be able to tell people the power of Jesus. That He has saved us, that He has rescued us, and that the only hope of life and peace and eternal life is found in Him and Him alone. Lord, might you cause us to see co-workers, neighbors, friends, people whom we may tend to disagree with. May we see them as beautiful opportunities that you've given us and empowered us by your Spirit to share the gospel with them this week. Lord, as we transition to the preaching of your word, Lord, give us ears, give us hearts to hear. Lord, give us a disposition of humility to drink in, to take and partake of the Word of God, that it might transform us into your Son. To be with our preacher this morning, give him clarity of thought, give him confidence in his delivery, but not for himself, to point us to our Savior, the Lord Jesus. And Lord, uh, such a blessing to be here. Thank you that I get to be here with brothers and sisters in Christ. Lord, guard our time now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. from Romans 8, 12 through 17. Um, it has a, a message of power. It has a 
message of assurance, but has a message of hope. Um, it, it is the gospel. And uh, the main theme of this passage as we begin to read and, and dive into God's word is that we are adopted as sons and daughters of God to be transformed into the image of God. But let's turn to the word um, in Romans 8, verses 12 through 17. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Let's turn our hearts to prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, uh, first and foremost, we thank you that we can call you that, that we can call you Father, and know that is true only because of the work of Jesus Christ and what he has done for us on the cross. And Lord, we thank you that you are in the business of adoption, that it is your desire to find all of your lost worshipers, your lost children, and bring them back to yourself through your son. And dear Father, we thank you that you have brought us into a relationship where your spirit testifies that not only do we belong to you, but you are our, our Abba Father. Lord, as we look into your word today, may you um, do a work in each and every one of our hearts that we might know you better today than we did before we came. May your spirit um, do a work in our minds and transform us to be more like your son, Jesus Christ. And Father, may anyone who is not here today that, that knows you as Father, may they not leave here today without being able to call you Abba Father because of the work of Jesus Christ. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So as, as already stated, that the main theme of today's message is this. We are adopted as sons and daughters of God to be transformed into the image of the Son of God. Now we're going to break this text, verses 12 through 17, into three sections. The first section, verses 12 through 14, the main thrust here, I believe, is the Spirit is leading us into battle to kill the flesh. The second point, in verse 15, the Spirit causes us to cry, Abba, Father. And the third point, in verses 16 and 17, is the Spirit bears witness with ours that we are heirs with Christ. Now, this week when I was looking at this, this passage, um, in past weeks, um, in Romans 8, and spending some time here, um, I was drawn to a specific phrase. Um, 
In chapter 8, I was drawn to the phrase, the spirit of adoption. I had to do a little research in regard to ancient Roman adoption. After all, this letter was written to Christians in Rome. And this is a truly unique reference that Paul makes. Nowhere else in the scriptures is the Holy Spirit, the third person in the Trinity, called the spirit of adoption. The motivation, first of all, in ancient Rome was different um, than it is today in regards to adoption. While contemporary adoption is aimed at placing a child in a loving family, Roman adoption aims at providing a suitable male heir to become the new father figure of the family when the patriarch dies. Adoption in ancient Rome was practiced, performed, um, not solely, but mainly by the upper class, such as the senatorial noble classes, Succession of family legacy were, were very important. Therefore, Romans needed a way of passing on their fortunes and their name when an, unable, when an unsuitable, um, when they were unable to produce a suitable male heir. Adoption was one of the few ways to guarantee succession. So it became a norm to adopt young, promising males, sometimes in their upper 20s and 30s of age. Adoption also allowed them to create ties among the high-ranking families. Three famous Roman adoptions that may surprise you are the following. Julius Caesar adopted Augustus, the first Roman emperor. Augustus, in turn, adopted Tiberius, the second Roman emperor. And Emperor Claudius adopted his successor, Nero, which I'm not sure about that one, not because Nero was an interesting um, emperor. Adoption was legally binding, and it was law, and could not be broken. So, let's keep this in the light as we, as we look at today's passage, because Paul is speaking uh, to the Romans, to Christians in Rome. In verse 12, So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. See, I think we see that the Spirit is leading us into battle to kill the flesh. Paul starts out with, so then. When Paul starts this next passage with, so then, why? Well, there's a reason. And this is because it's in conclusion of the previous passage that Paul states, where Paul states, the Spirit of God dwells in every Christian. Paul argues that we have been transferred from the realm of the flesh to the realm of the Spirit. We could rephrase, so then, to be, therefore. Um, we could read this, therefore, because we are debtors not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh, because we have the Holy Spirit of Christ living within us. So we have the, the spirit of Christ living in us. What does debtor to the flesh mean? Well, without Christ, where does our identity and security come from? See, the term flesh is a reference to a worldview. The flesh is a world-centered, oriented mindset or obsession with things of this world. Health, wealth, power, position, popularity, and reputation are not necessarily bad things, but these things were never meant to give us meaning, identity, nor security. God is the one who defines us, 
God makes us secure and gives us identity. Only God could be the center of our lives. It is a lie to believe that we can live without God, which goes, this lie goes back to the Garden of Eden. When Adam and Eve questioned the character and goodness of God and believed they could do life without God, God literally gave them everything. He gave them the world. Just one commandment. Don't eat from the tree in the middle of the garden. But they doubted God's truthfulness. They believed that God was somehow withholding good from them. And they could find pleasures outside of God. So they rebelled. They sinned. And every person born today and throughout history into this world, except for one, starts out as a little self-centered rebel that thinks they are the center of the world, of the universe. And every sinful thought or action is birthed from this fleshy mindset. Therefore, by nature, we feed it. See, the, the flesh plays on our fears that if we don't take things into our own hands, who will? We are born with a mindset that God doesn't really care. God doesn't really love us. You see, every sinful behavior is just a symptom of wrong beliefs. Let me say that again. Every sinful behavior is just a symptom of wrong beliefs. It is the only way the spiritual dead person can cope with life. Murder and hatred are just ways of removing someone who stands in the way of, their, of our deserved happiness. Lying, it's just... Just not disclosing the truth so that others will think things my way. Pride is just an unquenchable thirst to get recognition and honor that is due me. The problem with the flesh is this. You can never pay the flesh enough. Yes, sin may temporarily satisfy, but it's very short-lived. Murder and hatred will never bring happiness and peace. One lie will always lead to another. Trying to satisfy pride is like trying to put out a fire with gasoline. Feeding this flesh will only lead to tiresome disappointment, guilt, pain, sorrow, regret, broken relationships, and ultimately death. It is foolish to think that one can truly enjoy the creation without the Creator. Why would we do that? Can you imagine the pain, the guilt, and regret that Adam and Eve experienced after their tragic rebellion? Going from perfect harmony and love with God and with one another to fighting in front of God? Being able to bring life into the world, but only to experience one son kill another. You see, slowly for the rest of their lives and days, they lingered in debt to the flesh. Sin doesn't pay. Paul reminds us, therefore, that we owe nothing to the flesh. The flesh was a horrible, cruel master. And in verse 13, Paul warns us, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. You see, this death is forever. This death is spiritual. This death is eternal separation from God. Those who live their lives according to the flesh are living life without the Holy Spirit, without Christ. And eternity will just be a continuation of this. 
that they will no longer experience the mercies and graces of God that both the righteous and the wicked experience today. Sunshine and rain, the beauty of a sunrise and sunset, a star-filled night, good food and drink, family and friendships, life itself, these mercies and graces of God that were taken for granted will be gone. And hope will be no more. Paul's warning is to be taken very seriously. Paul then transitions, but if by living by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Now Paul is simply contrasting living according to the flesh versus living according to the Spirit. Now our first observation should be that the Spirit is capitalized. This is because it is a reference to the Holy Spirit, the third person in the Trinity. This Spirit is the indwelling Spirit of Christ that He promised to His disciples before He went to the cross. The Spirit of Christ not only initiates, but it enables us to slay or kill the deeds of the body. This is a supernatural work. We cannot do this alone. It is a work that we can only do through the power of the Holy Spirit. This is the ongoing sanctification process of the believer and the Spirit of Christ working side by side to kill sin in our lives. Paul says in Colossians 3.5, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, a sexual morality, impurity, passion, evil desires, and covetousness, which is idolatry, those who live this lifestyle, but those who live the lifestyle of repentance empowered by the Holy Spirit will live. Now, this live, this life, is eternal. It's knowing God. Jesus said, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. John seventeen three. Why do we live? Why do we know God? Because in verse 14, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. See, a distinguishing mark of the sons and daughters of God is this. They are being led by the Spirit of God. The sons of God not only know God, but they can't die. Be careful to hear what God's Word is saying. A life of repentance and reliance on Christ is a distinguishing mark of a Christian, a son or daughter of God, because this work of the Spirit of God is in their lives. A life of repentance and faith is a life of walking together with Christ. A humble and dependent lifestyle is the way of discipleship. Although this war is a personal war that we wage against our own sin, we still together love and encourage one another as we follow Christ together and begin to reflect His likeness more and more. It is the life that the Father calls His children to live out together with each other. The children of God do not follow the way of the world, but they do follow the Spirit of Christ. It's not a self-centered world. In fact, self must be crucified. Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Luke 9, 23. See, the Spirit leads us into battle to kill the flesh. 
I think the two of the best biblical illustrations I could find is one of Jesus' baptism, and then also the negative of that is where Adam and Eve failed. Let's take a look at Matthew 3, um, 16 through 14. This is Jesus' baptism. It's the beginning of his ministry. Um, I'm going to pick up at verse 16 of chapter 3 in Matthew. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Then Jesus, led by the Spirit, into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting forty days and forty nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to a holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command His angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. Satan thinks here, Jesus used God's word, I can use God's word. But Jesus comes right back. Jesus said to him, again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him shall you serve. Here we see Jesus being baptized, beginning his ministry. He receives the Holy Spirit is descending upon him as a sign to John so that John the Baptist would know that this is the Messiah. We see then, though, the Spirit doing what? Leading Jesus into battle. And so should we. Jesus has victory here. Praise God, because Adam and Eve did not fare as well. If we look in Genesis 3, 6, this is when Satan came to tempt Adam and Eve to uh, doubt God's goodness and turn away from Him. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. You see, where Adam failed, Jesus was victorious. Through Adam's sin, all of mankind has become unrighteous. But through the good work of Christ, can be made righteous by putting our trust in the work of Christ. My application here would be only Jesus can justify us. Jesus lived a perfect, righteous life 
which he sacrificed as a substitutionary death on the cross, which paid our death penalty in full for each of us, every one of us, deserves. For the wages of sin is death. Jesus took our sin and shame on the cross and in return gave us his righteousness and the right to become children of God. This is the gift of God received through faith. And as sons of God, we are being led and empowered by the Holy Spirit to live holy lives. Lives set apart by humble repentance and faith in Christ. Repentance is saying no to the flesh and yes to the Spirit. If Jesus, being led by the Spirit, fought Satan with the Word of God, so should we. And Peter reminds us, he tells us, So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy, all slander. Like newborn infants, long for spiritual milk, that it may, by it, you may grow up into salvation. This, that passage in Peter that where we're all to, as Christians, we all are to crave the Word of God. That's, that's our spiritual milk, and that's something that we should always crave. And see, what the flesh does is, it, I think, with children, it, it offers a pacifier. It doesn't satisfy it just keeps it busy. Um, let's take a look at verse 15. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Here we see that the main thrust is the spirit is causing us, causing the believer to cry out, Abba, Father. What greater assurance can we have? The Holy Spirit is in us, not only to lead us into battle against the flesh, but it gives us a great assurance that we belong and are dearly and forever loved by God. Although this work of the Spirit is evident experientially, the emotion we feel is informed by faith in the promises and truthfulness of God and what Christ has done for us. And the Spirit causes us to cry, Abba, Father. See, verse 15, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons. Paul is contrasting slavery and adoption, and so should we. In ancient Rome, slavery was common. It was based not on race, rather economics. Roman slaves were property to be bought, sold, and used as a tool or an animal, however their master thought best. They had no legal rights and were completely at the mercy of of their master. Roman adoption, though, was also legal and binding. But once adopted, the son could not be disowned. Even a natural-born son could be disowned by the patriarch of a, royal, of a Roman family, but not an adopted son. The adopted son would have a new identity and share in his father's estate while the father was still living. The son was freely chosen and desired by the Father. And a Roman, here's an interest, a Roman could not adopt a slave. The slave would first have to be bought, then set free, before adoption could take place. And that's exactly what Jesus did for us on the cross. Jesus paid for the price of our sin and rebellion with his blood and set us free to be adopted as sons and daughters of God. See, 
God didn't want slaves. God wants sons and daughters. In light of this beautiful and amazing truth of our great salvation, why does Paul mention falling back into fear? This spirit of slavery refers to an ingrained habitual lifestyle that although cruel and harsh, it feels safe because it's familiar. This is hard to believe, but unfortunately, there's a lot of research on abusive relationships. Psychologists have a lot of statistics that show that women in abusive relationships that break free from their abuser usually return to the one who was abusive or fall into another abusive relationship. In American history, when slavery was abolished, there were cases of African Americans continuing to work for their old slave masters because they had nowhere to go and it was the only way to survive. There were no systems in place that aided this transition from slavery to freedom. But Paul reminds us that we don't have to give way to fear and fall back into the old mindset driven by fear and this insatiable desire to feed the flesh because we have the Spirit of God living in us, the Spirit of adoption. That is legally binding forever because of the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Paul writes to the Ephesians that we are sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is a guarantee of our inheritance. But this is more than a legal contract that God will perform because he is faithful. This is an enduring and steadfast, loving relationship. It's not business. It's family. Paul confirms something that every believer knows to be true. The spirit of adoption causes us to cry, Abba, Father. Now, I know hearing the word Father is difficult for some of us to hear. Not everyone has had an ex- has experienced a good father. Some have not experienced a father at all. But a father is someone who we derive our identity from. A father is someone who gives, sustains, and protects life. A father is loving, tender, and strong. A father is patient and a source of wisdom. A father is a teacher and coach that prepares you for life and encourages you every step of the way. A father is someone who you run to when you're afraid. I am personally convicted and convinced that all fathers fall short of these ideals, except for one. And I'm convinced that this one father sent his one and only son into the world to seek and find all of his lost children that were sold into slavery to sin and ransom them back with his life, not as slaves, but as his chosen, adopted sons and daughters, who will one day reign with Christ in glory forever. When I think of this, I want to break out into song and sing. Behold what manner of love the Father has given unto us that we should be called the sons of God. Let's see, it gets better. Do you see cry, Abba, Father? This should grab your attention. See, Father was a familiar term to the Jews. In the Old Testament, God is referenced as the father of the nation of Israel. 
And Israel was like a son to God. But this Aramaic term, Abba, was an endearing and intimate term that means daddy. Again, this stresses more of a relationship than a title. When we think of the love of God, our minds and hearts have a tendency to go to God the Father giving us His Son and the Son of God laying down His life for us. And rightly so. But this past week, I've been pondering Jesus teaching His disciples how to pray. Jesus did something radical. Jesus told His disciples to begin their petition to God by saying, Abba. Jesus was sharing his most intimate relationship he had with his disciples. Jesus wants us to know the Father as he knows the Father. That's love. Father, something often we don't share. I don't know, maybe this is just a guy thing, but I know growing up um, with my friends, I would say silly things like, my dad, I bet my dad can do that to your dad. <laughs> Here we have... Jesus saying, I want to share my Father with you. I want you to call him Abba. I want you to call him Daddy. And the verb cry here is packed with strong emotion. See, we cry when we're afraid. We cry when we feel abandoned alone. We cry when we are frustrated and confused and this world doesn't seem to make any sense. We cry when our strength is gone. We cry when we are out of resources. We cry when we are in pain. We cry when we are ashamed of ourselves. And the Spirit of Christ compels us to cry, Daddy, please help. Application here, I think, is when the fears, trials, and tribulations of this world rise up in our lives, the Spirit of Christ compels us to cry out, Abba, Father, This is a supernatural assurance that drives us to the foot of the cross into the throne of God where we find an almighty and gentle, gracious Father that is running towards us with open arms. Let's look at verse 16 and 17. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, Provided we suffer with Him in order that we also be glorified with Him. In verse 16, the Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Paul continues to reinforce the supernatural assurance that we have in Christ and begins to transition this assurance to hope. The Holy Spirit testifies to our very spirit that we are children of God. Of God and do not belong to this fallen world. Both Peter and Paul referred to Christians as strangers and aliens who are just passing through this world. See, although we live in this world, it's not our home. Jesus also testified to Pilate when he stood on trial and confessed, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, his disciples would have fought to prevent his arrest. See, there is another kingdom. There is hope. What does it mean to be heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ? An heir is someone who has...
has the right to the estate of the Father. What is the inheritance of the sons of God? Of the sons of God? Well, it's everything. See, Jesus said, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And this earth that Jesus was speaking of is not the present one, but the new heaven and the new earth, which are waiting to be revealed. Because this present earth is reserved for fire. It's going to pass away. I also want to take a look at what the Apostle John's revelation tells us in light of what it means to be an heir and what our inheritance will be like. In Revelation 21.3, John has a vision of the new heaven and earth. And he says, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. The presence of God dwelling with us face to face will be our greatest joy and prize. See, our future hope is one that will also wipe away all of our present tears. This life is filled with grief and suffering, but we don't suffer alone. Christ is with us through His Spirit, waging war against the flesh is hard. It's not easy to say no to temptation. It's not easy to live in this broken world filled with injustice. But if we trust in Christ and depend upon Him during our sufferings, we will be glorified with Him. I I don't like to admit it, but when I reflect, personally, my most closest and intimate times with Christ were experiences during hard times and trials. When my faith was being tested and all I had to lean on was Christ, all I really wanted to know in those moments was that Jesus loved me and I wanted him to know I loved him. I wanted to know that he would make things right, especially me. These were painful times, but sweet times with Christ. You see, as heirs, brothers and sisters of Christ, who belong to a different kingdom, we will experience similar sufferings as Christ in this present world and kingdom because we don't belong to it. We belong to the kingdom of God. Just as the cross was before the crown for Christ, so we, too, will experience sufferings in this world, and we, too, will be glorified with Him. This is our hope. See, this this glorification is the final stage of our salvation where both physically and spiritually we will be transformed. Jesus said then in Matthew 13 that the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. This will be an amazing transformation. Um, I don't think we can begin to fathom it. He says that the righteous will shine like the sun. We're going to be transformed and made like him. We won't be the same. We won't be Jesus. But we won't have to struggle with sin and and temptation and just the, the scars and the pains of this world. We'll 
have new bodies that will never know sickness or being tired or weak. The Apostle Paul says that the sufferings that we experience are real and and they're painful. But in light of our glorification, they're light and momentary trials. When we compare eternity with Christ and our glorified state with what we're going through, it gives us strength. It gives us strength and hope to move forward. See, our application here is our hope is in God's finished work in our lives and glorification with Christ. This gives us strength to trust in Jesus when we suffer in this world. I'd like to go full circle and just close with, unlike the Roman emperors who adopted sons, suitable heirs, that had qualities and family ties that would strengthen their kingdom and extend their own legacy beyond their own life, God's not like that. God is all-powerful and eternal. His kingdom has no end. He has no need of anything, much less a successor. God didn't need a son to be an heir. He already had one. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. You see, Jesus lived a perfect, sinless life. Everything he said, thought, did, all his motives were completely to please the Father. He lived a perfect life that we have not. And he came into this world with a mission to save us, to buy us back, and he did that through the cross. He went to the cross and took the punishment that we deserve. He was forsaken by God when we deserve to be forsaken. He took the full wrath of God so that we would not have to experience that. And he rose from the grave. He, he, he set us free so that we could be adopted as sons and daughters of God. I don't want anyone to be confused today either that this Christian life is not something you can do on your own. It starts with faith and it starts by the work of the Holy Spirit. And, and the Christian experience is one of, of faith where we are just responding to what God has already done for us in Christ. See, life isn't easy, but we're not alone. Jesus promised, he said, I will not leave you as orphans. He promised the Holy Spirit, the Comforter. And not only that, he gave us each other. We're his family. To live together, to encourage one another, to walk and follow Christ with all of our hearts. And to be transformed day by day into the likeness of Christ. This is a miracle of God. The miracle that we are experiencing and we continue to glory. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, again, I just thank you for those words. I thank you, Lord, that it's not just a title, but it's who you are to us because of the work of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father, that you gave us your Son, who lived a life that we should have lived and died a death 
that we deserve to die so that our sins could be paid in full so that we could be set free to be adopted as sons and daughters of the living God. We thank you for that. We thank you, too, that Christ is coming back. We thank you and and praise you that we're going to be transformed. We're going to be glorified one day with Christ. With that in mind, Lord, help us to navigate the pain and the suffering, the confusion and the hurts, and even our own sin, Lord. Help us, Lord, to to battle this and be transformed. We need your spirit, Lord. So, Father, we thank you for the work that you began. We thank you for the work that you will complete in us through Christ Jesus. And, Father, if anyone is here today that does not know you as Father, I pray that they would not leave today without coming to faith and knowing who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for them. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you as you continue to worship him and continue to sit with him. No hard address can separate the steadfast love from pain and stain. Faithfulness and endless love, so full of grace and mercy, we sing God, we serve Forgiveness flows from your hand. Your kindness shown in all your ways. We sing, God, we serve. never 
good to us, right? A simple song with such profound truth. He's good to us because he is our rock. He is our shield. He is our cornerstone in Christ Jesus. Thank you for giving to our church. We're continuing to do that online. Um, you continue to do that that way. If you're prepared to give today as well, you can give outside uh, on our office door. There's a little slot there, so you can do that as well. I want to pray over our offering and pray our time as we dismiss today. Let's bow our heads and thank the Lord. God, you are good. Truly. You're good to us, God. We don't deserve it. We often don't believe it. 
we far too often fail to grab hold of it. But that changed nothing about the simple truth, profound truth. You are His. We know that because you are a rock in Christ. You are a shield that marks us and protects us in Christ. And you are the very cornerstone upon which all things stand or fall. And you are our cornerstone in Christ that we stand on. Lord, we cannot express enough as your people our great love for you solely because you first loved us in your son. Lord, you, what a profound truth in the text that you did not just set us free. That would have been glorious enough. You set us free and made us family. You made us sons and daughters. We don't just have this transactional ministry, this transactional relationship with you, but a familiar relationship with God as Father and Jesus and our Savior as our brother. And Lord, we can cry in all moments of our life. I, I know my heart went there many places today. I'm sure yours did as well. Cry in times of hurt, in times of need, in times of fear, in times of guilt and shame. We can cry, Father, Abba, Father, because you are that in Christ. Yes, we thank you. So Lord, I pray for our church today. Thank you for your word. Help it to sink deeper into our hearts that we might continue to be transformed to the image of your son. Lord, grow us up. Make us mature in Christ. I thank you for those who give. Bless our offering, Lord, to be used as the advancement of your gospel in this world. And Lord, this week, have us to continue to think deeply about what it means that you've made us sons, you've made us daughters. We're heirs with Christ. If we suffer with him, provided that we will be glorified with him. Lord, we, we finish our time today in the matchless name of Jesus, in whose name we've all said, Amen. Amen. You are dismissed.